Open your Bibles to Ephesians 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 9. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 9. So we're going to be going over sola gratia, or grace alone. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 9. And it says this. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up, with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Let's pray. God, as we go over... Uh, And think about the great gift of your grace. Help us to be able to treasure this truth. To be able to have it dwell deeply in us. And for us to be ever more grateful for the work of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking tonight about being saved by grace alone. So grace alone means that there was a false teaching that said grace in addition to something else. So not grace by itself, but that you are saved by grace plus merit. Okay, grace plus merit. So the reformers come in and they say, no, that is wrong. That is heresy. You're not saved by grace plus merit. You are saved by grace alone. So what does it mean to be saved by grace plus merit? Or better yet, what is merit? Well, think of merit kind of like a point system. So think like Harry Potter with the houses. you got Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, Slytherin, right? And they're gaining points for their house. And they're accumulating points for themselves. So it's similar here in the Christian life that you're accumulating points for righteousness, right? So you read the Bible with someone, 20 points to Gryffindor, right? You, You confess your sins, Right? Then you're absoluting yourself from negative points to your house and wherever it may be. And you're trying to accumulate enough status for yourself in addition to grace to be able to be saved. Okay? To, to have this status along with yourself. And, and Luther, Martin Luther, actually dealt with this fear himself. He was constantly plagued with the fear of not having enough merit. So, in fact, there's a story of Martin Luther who goes to Rome on a pilgrimage, and there's this set of stairs called the Scala Sancta, 
Okay, And so it's 28 steps. They believe that these were the very steps that Jesus went up to as he went up Calvary to die on the cross. Okay, And what they said there was that if you went up each step of these stairs on your knees and you repeated the Lord's Prayer every single step that you went, then when you reached the top you will accumulate enough merit for yourself to make up for one year of sins. Okay, So a Catholic church would teach that whatever sins you commit would have to be purged from you in purgatory. So the idea was you go up these stairs on your knees, you say the Lord's Prayer enough times, and you reach the top, and you're good for one year. What do you do after that year? I don't know. You go back, you do it again. So Luther does this. He goes up every single step on his knees, right? You can imagine how sore his knees are. It's hard enough for me to pray on my knees for 20 minutes. He goes up these 28 steps. He's standing at the top of Rome, and he looks over everything. And he thinks to himself, who knows whether this is true? So he's looking over everything. He just did the Lord's Prayer 28 times, sore knees, and he's asking himself, man, I don't even know if what I did will actually work. So he would go on, and, and throughout his whole life, he was trying to accumulate enough merit for himself. He would go to confession every day for hours, sitting with his pastor. Right. So imagine sitting down with PJ two or three hours a day, just confessing every single sin that you ever committed. And his mentor... Johann von Staupitz was so exhausted by him that this is true. He looks at Luther and he says, why don't you go out and do something interesting like murder or adultery and then come back to me and actually confess something legitimate? He was that sick of Luther confessing the menial sins. But Luther was not settled. How about us? How do we catch a break. If we're supposed to be saved by some righteousness of our own, some kind of merit that we can accumulate, how do we know when enough is enough? And the answer that he finds in Scripture is grace. Okay, That that Christ's righteousness has given to us, we talked about this in Christ alone, is given to us not based on our merit, not based on our works, not, but on faith alone, by grace alone. Okay, Or this is the way that Carl Truman defines grace here. Action on God's part. Action on God's part, motivated by love and shaped by holiness, which takes account of the seriousness of sin, yet brings sinners back into communion with Him. So what does that mean? That God saves us by His gift. He gives it to us out of His kindness to us. Here's another way that Carl Truman describes it. That grace is not God giving us wholesome advice. Okay, He's not trying to give us the how-to, the 101 on how to be holy enough to go into heaven. But it's God raising someone from the dead. First Christ and then those who are in Christ. So when we say that we're being saved by grace alone, we're saying that we're being saved by God's gift alone, by God's kindness alone, to us alone, not based on anything that we do. 
And that's made most obviously here in Ephesians 2. So briefly, I just want to cover two things here. Verse 4 to 5 here says this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by what? You're saved by grace. So God gives us His Son out of the great love He has for us. And we talked about this the last time that I preached on Christ alone, right? That there's nothing here that involves our action. That God, out of His love, is doing things for us because we're saved by grace, by His kindness for us. And His kindness to us. Okay, So why does He do this? Well, read on with me in verse 6. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So how do you know the extent of God's kindness for you? How do you know the extent of God's grace for you? You look at the cross. You look at God giving himself up for us. That's how much God cares for you. And to think that you can somehow accumulate enough goodness or enough worth in yourself to warrant God giving himself for you is utterly foolish. There's no way that you could possibly equal out that equation or balance out that scale. It is God's kindness to us. And He gives us Christ. So, what I want to go over tonight briefly is four benefits of grace that is given to us just so that we can look at it from various different facets. So when we think about God saving us by grace alone, we tend to think merely or sometimes narrowly in terms of salvation. But God's kindness to us involves way more than just our salvation, but secondary gifts through our salvation as well. So I want to go over four benefits of grace. Okay, four benefits of grace. So first benefit of grace is going to be God's word. God's word. So when Paul writes most of his epistolary letters to the churches um, throughout the world, what does he start his letter with generally? Greetings. Yeah, so he says hi. What else does he say? Yeah, he says grace to you. Now, why would he say grace to you? Well, he's not just saying, hey, grace to you, like Christ gave you grace. But he's actually saying something particular in that phrase. That as he's about to gospelize these people that he's writing to, he's actually giving grace to those people. Okay, So God continually gives us grace, not just at our moment of salvation, but in every moment of our lives. And one of the ways that he does that is through his word. His word dispenses grace to us. So when we read God's word, when we meditate on God's word, when we hear from God's word, God's grace is being given to us. His kindness is being shown to us through his word. Okay. Now, it's not that you're being saved necessarily by this 
grace, but it is blessing upon blessing upon blessing. That God would give his own word to us. We aren't people trying to figure out this Christian life by ourselves. God in his kindness gave us his word. And that's a gift to us. The second benefit of grace is the church. The church. Christ brings us not just to himself, but to each other. He brings us together by his grace. Flip over a page with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 16 here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Now, grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For when it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then read down with me to verse 16. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. So how are we gathered together? How are we able to be one? Christ prays for us to be one in John 17, and God answers his prayer. H.P. Charles preached on this at our state convention that we sat in, that God answers Christ's prayer that we would all be one. And how does he make us one? By his grace in Christ Jesus. That in Christ, as we're being drawn into Christ, as we all, as we repent, from our sins, as God imparts His grace to us, are being drawn to, brought into Christ. Not only are we being brought and united with Christ, we're also being stitched together. Ligament by ligament. Bone by bone. We are Lego pieces being fitted together and becoming one. And that's by God's grace. By God's grace. In other words, God's grace is the super glue that attaches us together. You can't detach yourself from each other. It's impossible. You can't. You're one. And that's God's gift to us by bringing us together. The Christian walk was not meant to be lived by yourself. It's meant to be lived with a church. So how do we express this grace? How do we express this gift? Through the ordinances. When we have baptisms, when we take communion together, we are physically and symbolically covenanting together and reminding ourselves of what Christ has done. 
When we enact in this church together, when we live life together, that is a benefit of grace. And think about your own Christian life. What a train wreck. When I think about my own Christian life, I think about what it would have been like to live this Christian life alone. I would have been an absolute train wreck. Like, I would have gotten wrecked by a semi-truck at least a week into my Christian life. If I didn't have loving brothers and sisters in Christ that spoke into my life and spoke wisdom into this thick skull, I would not have been able to make it. And God knows it. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our inadequacies. And he's given us his church to help us. That's God's gift to us. That also means that you're God's gift to other people. That God has uniquely placed you in various stages of life to be in this church or to join another church, Lord willing, to covenant together, to bear each other's burdens and to build each other up. Third gift, third benefit of God's grace is prayer, is prayer. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14, or sorry, let me find the verse here. Okay, yeah, verse 14. I'm going to be reading verse 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Okay, So you can approach the throne of grace with boldness because of the grace that God has given you. Okay, so get this. God has given you grace. Now you can approach the throne of grace to receive grace in your time of need. In other words, God is allowing you to approach him out of his kindness. You would not be able to talk to God if it were not God's grace to you. Have you ever thought about that? God has no reason to listen to you. There's absolutely nothing that we've done that would warrant God's willingness to listen to us. His hearing us, His caring for us is purely His grace to us. And when you pray, it's an active acknowledgement. If you're praying correctly, it's an acknowledgement of saying that I can't approach God by myself, but because of the work of His Son, I can approach the throne of grace boldly. Right? That's why we can run to Christ. That's why when we confess our sins to God in prayer, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Because of what Christ has done for us. That's why we can cast our cares upon Him. Because of what Christ has done for us. Because of His kindness to us. Because of His gift to us. And the last benefit of grace, well, there's lots of benefits of grace, but the fourth one I'm going to talk about today is trust, is trust. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 9. Flip back with me, 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 9. His trust. So 
This is Paul writing, and he says this. Concerning this, or let me start from uh, in the middle of verse 7 here. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made sufficient in weakness. So get this, Paul has a thorn in the flesh. He has a weakness. He pleads with God to take it away. And Christ looks at Paul in his weakness. God looks at Paul in his weakness. And he doesn't say, pick it up, Paul. Get it together. You know, hustle. Get up. Do it. Get over it. No, he looks at Paul and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? My grace is sufficient for you. So what does that mean? That when we have thorns in our side, when we go through trials in our life, when we feel the weakness of ourselves, we can trust God. God is not telling Paul to make himself sufficient. He's telling Paul to trust his own God's sufficiency. Right? He's telling Paul, trust my sufficiency. For my power, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made great in your weakness. It's God's kindness to us. So we can trust God. When things don't seem to make sense, we can trust God. You don't have to wonder like Job did when he's being tormented by his friends whether or not God is angry at you for something. Rather, God is punishing you for your sin. No. You can trust God. His power is made perfect in weakness. His grace is sufficient for you. Romans 8, 29. We, we talked about this um, earlier before we sang. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. You can't stop God's grace for you. Someone can walk through these doors, like in Sutherland, and shoot all of us, and we can die, and even death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Why? Because the thing that saves us, God's grace, is so powerful that it can overcome death itself. And it can certainly overcome our weaknesses, our inadequacies, our sins because of God's kindness to us. So those are four benefits of grace. Four sweet truths for us in believing grace alone. But what happens when you rely on merit? What happens when you rely on yourself? Well, the opposite happens. So let's go over these four benefits that happen that that change. Well, The Word isn't something that you rely on yourself anymore. The Word becomes a manual. So the Word becomes a means to help you. So ultimately, you're trusting your own Word. You're saying, all right, Bible, help me out here. How do I build my boat and get out of sin? Or how do I advance myself in this life? 
It's wicked. You can't do it by yourself. God's word is good news, not because it tells you what to do. God's word is good news because of what Christ has done. It's good news. We're speaking from a position where it's already happened. We're proclaiming what has happened to people. Secondly, the church isn't the church anymore. The church becomes a burden. Church becomes a burden. Either you think you're not good enough, so you can't be around all these holier-than-thou people, so you isolate yourself that way, or you think you're too good for anyone. A church would just weigh me down. They'd hold me back. So I'm going to walk this Christian life alone. That's foolishness. That's utter foolishness. You need other people in your life. Prayer doesn't become prayer. It morphs itself into a genie. Okay, So you're not entreating yourself before a gracious, good God anymore. You're talking to a genie. Okay, So either you're going to think that you haven't met the requirements to entreat upon this deity, so you're going to be too ashamed to approach God, or you're going to think that he owes you something when you talk to him. And lastly, you're not going to trust God anymore. You're going to distrust God. And when you distrust God, you ultimately trust yourself. And you might convince yourself that that might work. You might be delusional for a while or until your death. But there will be constant plagues in our lives where we're reminded that we can't trust ourselves, right? Where trial after trial after trial, you'll be disappointed again and again and again. And God frees us from the chains of this terrible life, of these terrible mistruths, of of weighing things on ourselves to try to accumulate some status for ourselves to be lovable. We're lovable not because we have some intrinsic lovableness, but because God loves you. Because when he loves you, he deems the value in you. That God's love for you shows his grace to you. And in that, you can find your worth, your identity, your peace, your satisfaction, all in God's grace alone. And ultimately, God's grace is made complete in the work of Christ himself. That we can find our faith and salvation in Christ alone because of our faith in him. Because of what he's done for us. That is the greatest gift. God's grace is made known to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't think that Guillermo or Johnny or John Lee were worth dying for. He did it because of God's glory, out of his kindness to us, out of his goodness, that his glory would would be made known. And because of that, we can trust him. And we don't have to walk in this life anxious about misstepping or making mistakes, but we can Love and and cherish the truth that God is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves. We can trust him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace that you've given us. Help us this week to go out and share this good news with others because it really is good news. And we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the abundant grace that we've been given. In Jesus' name, amen.